Yes, Cornerstone people, I'm Steve, one of the pastors. Welcome to you all in the room. Welcome to you with us online. Please be seated. You've been standing long enough. And um, we try really hard not to do any announcements between the first worship set of singing and the sermon so that your heart's all ready to just flow right into the sermon. But once in a while, we just have to squeeze something in. So I'm going to squeeze something in. It's your responsibility to keep your heart all warm to go right into the sermon in a minute. But here we go, something I have to squeeze in. So some things in our staff composition have changed, and some of you may need to know this because it will affect who you reach out to for what thing. So here's what's happened. Cindy Antique has long been our church administrator. She's been like a hub to which all kinds of people and things and projects and ministries in the church have been related, and she's kept things running smoothly and all that. She's had a big job. Actually, the job has just gotten bigger over time. She's taken on more hours, more responsibility, more hours. And Cindy and her, her husband, Mike, are at a point right now due to some health issues where she has had to really back down on her job hours. So here's what we've done recently. We've allowed her to go with only the financial part of her job. That sized it way down, and the other part got got passed to Brittany, uh, I'm sorry, not Brittany, to Isabel, too many ladies working here, went to Isabel, and uh, Isabel stepped right up to the plate, kept us flying for a while while we grouped and figured out what are we doing here, and here's what we've done. Our new church administrator person is going to be the wife of our new youth pastor. Her name is Gabriella Cummings. I think we have a picture over there. There they are. There she is. And so what I want to do is, hang on one second. So Cindy has served us so well. She's not here today, but nonetheless, let's give her a great round of applause for all her service to us. All right. She's been amazing. And Isabel stepped in and helped us through and served so well. Isabel, we want to applaud you too. Thank you so much for serving in that way. And just one more, Gabriella, who they were here in the last service. Welcome to Gabriella for being our new, the hub, the church administrator. Please, thank you for being patient with us in the transition. Lots of things, you know, you call someone and they say, oh, I'm not that, that's them. No, that's them. No, it's a, and you're getting passed around a little bit. We're getting ourselves settled, getting our act back together. Thank you for our patience in this time of transition. All right. And that's all I need to announce. Let's pray together. And we'll go on into the sermon. Father in heaven, now we look up to you and pray that your word will come to us in the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray that men and women, boys and girls, will be saved by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, by calling upon his saving name. And we pray that your people, your blood-bought, your redeemed children who follow the Lamb, we pray that we'll be greatly strengthened and built up and established in our faith as we hear what we're about to hear from your word. For we ask in the name of Jesus, amen. All right, here's how I want to introduce this sermon. So very often, uh, the Bible gathers topics. There'll be, it'll touch the topic here, it'll touch the topic there, but it'll gather it into one place in a big way. So it's kind of like Imagine you have a large backyard, maybe some of you do, and you need some mulching done back there. So you get a whole dump truck of mulch comes to your place, and you take him over there and say, just a shovel full or two right there. Over here, we need a wheelbarrow load, and over here. But then here's a spot where I need you to just dump the whole rest of the truck right now, dump it all right there, and he dumps the whole truck. The way that mulch spread around in your yard is kind of how various doctrines on various topics are spread around in God's Word. So, for example, if you want to know about creation, like how did that happen, there's a little bit over here about creation. There's a little bit over there about creation. But if you really want to get the, the full truckload on creation, where do you go? Yeah, you're in Genesis 1 and 2. There's creation. 
If you want to know about the flood, it's mentioned in the New Testament. This guy talks about the flood. Jesus talked about the flood. But if you really want to get the flood, where do you go? Genesis chapter 6. You all are getting weaker here as we go. So if you really want to learn about the Word of God, I'm going to give you a hint now, from A to Z. Where do you learn about God's Word from A to Z in a very, in a very concentrated place? Where is it? Psalm 119, I love you all. You did that very well. Or let's say you really want to learn about, let's get into the New Testament somehow. You want to learn about uh, the doctrine of imputation where your sins are imputed to Christ and he bears them on the tree and his righteousness is imputed to you. It's reckoned to you and God sees you righteous in Christ and for Christ's sake. And that's in various passages in maybe small pickup truck loads, but there's a big, big dump truck load of that somewhere. Where is it? Oh, you guys are good. Romans chapter 5 and some related passages. So now here's a question for you. Where is the truckload of heaven in the Bible? The truckload about heaven in the Bible. Where is it? Yeah, but you're being vague. That's a big book, 22 chapters. Where in the book of Revelation? Ah, you're getting warmer. All right. So Revelation 21 and a little bit from 22 is the place in God's, God's Word where he places the largest deposit of truth about heaven. There's nowhere like it in the rest of the Bible. There's more revealed about heaven right there. It is dense. It's compact. It's luminous. It gathers up with the little bits that are in other places, puts them together, systematizes them, fills in a lot of blanks, pictures it for us. So if you want to know about heaven you've got to go to Revelation 21. Guess where we are today in the Bible? You want to know about heaven? Here we are. It's a great day, Cornerstone Church. Here's a further thing that's interesting as we work our way into Revelation 21 about heaven today. When God dumps a truckload of information somewhere in His Word about a certain doctrine, a certain topic, a certain issue, He doesn't waste your time switching metaphors a little bit. He doesn't take prime time in his word, like Genesis 1 and 2 is prime time for creation. He doesn't take prime time and sneak in a little, hi, mom, while he's at it, all right? He doesn't take prime time to say hi to mom. Do you know that phrase? All right, thank you. He doesn't do that. He doesn't give you trivial things when he's dumping the truckload. Like, for example, what what could be trivial about creation? Um, You know, were there Japanese beetles in the garden? Like, does that really matter? Do you need to know that? We're told, like, the big, weighty facts about creation. And so it is in Revelation 21. uh, He does not exhaustively answer every question that a human mind might come up with about heaven. Like, will there be turtles? That's not in there. Like, who cares? If there aren't turtles, there's something else. It's going to be okay. So he doesn't exhaustively answer every question just to satisfy our imaginations. But whatever is there is there thoughtfully, for a very good reason, for a very good purpose, like this is what you really need to know. This is what you really want to know about heaven. So you've come to the right chapter in God's Word if you want to hear about heaven. Now, I'm going to overlap a little bit with, what I want to, with some of what I said last week because I want to say it better, and it will flow into this message better. So bear with me while we have a little bit of overlap. I did not use the R word. It's not review. It's just overlap. Here's the first thing I want to tell you from that chapter about heaven. Heaven is a new you on a new earth in a new universe. In fact, we can go a little beyond that. Let's go beyond it for a minute, and we'll see it's justified by the text as we go on. 
What, what, what is in heaven? Well, God's there, but it's also there's a new universe that has a new planet Earth on it, that has a new you on it, that has a glorified you on it, and it's all glorified. Glorified universe, glorified planet, glorified renewed you, that's what's in heaven. Let's look at it. Revelation 21.1, then I saw, John seeing visions, the visions correspond to things, they have meanings that are symbolic generally, but there's some, some truth in this one. Then I saw in my vision a new heaven and a new earth. Well, why do we need a new one? For, because the first earth had gone, passed away, and the sea was no more. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away. So John sees a new heaven and a new earth. That's not turtles, that's big. You want to know, well, what's it going to be like? You're thinking, well, maybe I'll become a believer. If I become a believer, what all does that involve? I know it's the whole, you know, my sins are forgiven and reckoned to Christ and his righteousness to me and all that. I know I have eternal life. But what, what would heaven be like? Here's one of the main things you ought to know about heaven. Heaven is not like you, like some shapeless, formless, amorphous jellyfish glob of something floating around in gases forever with clouds and stuff. No, no, no. no. Heaven is a renewed you, a human being redeemed and renewed and glorified in a glorified universe on a glorified planet, heaven is a new you on a new earth in a new universe. So that's significant. Don't miss heaven because if you go to heaven, you will be an amazing creature under God and for God's glory. So we saw enough of that last week. I'm going to move on to the second thing revealed in this premier teaching passage about heaven, and it's a, it's a glob. It's not a sentence. It's a glob of verbiage because John sees a glob of revelation and struggles to describe it to us, and it's changing as it goes. It's kind of like when you have a dream, and your dream's one thing, and then all of a sudden there's another thing, and then it turns into something else. That's what John's revelation is like, and he struggles with words, and so we struggle to convey it, but here it is. One of the big things going on in heaven one of the big things you're supposed to know is there is a holy city, which is a new Jerusalem, which is the bride of Christ, which is the wife of the Lamb, which is the church of Jesus Christ, which is all the people of God of every age, glorified and radiant. Big glob. But that all comes in a couple of verses, and one piece of that flows into the next and flows into the next, and that's why I gave you all the equal signs. Let's look at it, Revelation 21, 2. John says, and I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, not the old Jerusalem, a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. So there's a new heavens. He looks up into those new heavens. Hey, there's something coming down out of there. It's headed down to the new earth. It's coming down, and here's what's especially important about it. It's prepared as a bride. It's bride-like. It's like a bride adorned for her husband. Hmm. Just so happens we had a wedding here yesterday. I wasn't the guy conducting it. I got to sit right about where you are, Isabel, with my arm around my girl, and I got to just enjoy the wedding while another pastor conducted it. But the bride was standing like right here. She was standing here looking at her groom, and they're holding hands and vows and rings and all. So yesterday I got to sit there and see the bride. And, man, I want to tell you, I've known her for some years now. She looked good, all right? Like, I've never seen her look like that. Like, 
the hair, the dress, and the whole thing, you know, all made up like her very best moment, right? One of her best moments of life. And John's struggling to describe to us, what's this holy city? What's this new Jerusalem coming down look like? It reminded me, he says, of, of a bride on her wedding day when she's all decked out. So this is one good-looking city. But there's more about it. It gets interesting. Revelation 21, 9 through 11. Then came one of the seven angels and spoke to me saying, come, I'll show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. So now we're going to go see the bride, the wife of the lamb. And notice what we go see. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. So you see, this is a vision. It operates like a dream. You're told you're going to see one thing and you see another. It's because both of those things you see represent something about the one thing. Let me give you an example of what I mean by that. Back in chapter 5, we have God the Father sitting on a throne. He's holding a scroll. There's seven seals. There's no one worthy to open the seals. John's crying because of that because he wants to know what's in the scroll. And then all of a sudden we're told, ah, there is one who's worthy. It's the lion of the tribe of Judah. Who's that? Jesus Christ. Is he really a lion? No, he's lion-like, so he's described as a lion. So now we're going to see the lion of the tribe of Judah, and we look, and what do we see? The lion became a lamb. So what's this do? It's revealing to us that Jesus Christ is complex. He's lion-like, and he's lamb-like, meek, sacrificial animal. He's both of those. He's a lion, and he's a lamb. Now we have the same thing going on here. We're going to see a city, a new Jerusalem, which turns out to be a bride, a wife of the Lamb, and the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he he says, come, I'll show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. So Let me put that phrase up again with all the equal points, equal uh, signs. So heaven is the holy city. It's the new Jerusalem. It's the bride of Christ. It's the wife of the Lamb. And we're going to see it's the church. It's all the people of God, and it's glorified and radiant. Where do we get that it's all the people of God? Well, let's go on. Revelation 21, 12. It, that city, which is the bride of the Lamb, which is the church of Jesus Christ, which is the people of God, it has a great high wall. This is a vision. That's how the people of God can have a great high wall. It has a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels, and on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. And on the west, three gates. So how do we know this is all the people of God? Well, the old covenant people of God are there as represented by the 12 tribes of Israel. Well, how do we know the new covenant people of God are there? Because Revelation 21, 14 goes on, and the wall of the city had 12 foundations. Literally, it's a word that means foundation stones. So it has one foundation, but there are 12 foundation stones around that foundation. And on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So you've got 12 tribes of Israel on the gates. You've got 12 apostles of the new covenant on the foundation. What do you have? You have the old covenant people redeemed by the blood of Christ. And you have all the new covenant people redeemed by the blood of Christ. And they're all there. They're all there. What's he revealing to us? Heaven is not segregated. There's not one place in heaven for old covenant believers. 
There's not one place in heaven for Jewish believers. There's not another place in heaven for New Covenant believers. There's not another place in heaven for Gentile believers. It's not like the the tabernacle. It's not like the temples. Well, you're a Gentile. You had to stay out in the court of the Gentiles. You can't come in here with the Jewish people. No, that's all gone. And in heaven, we're all one people. We're all the bride of the Lamb. We're all the bride of Christ. We're all the people of God, and we're all in heaven. There's one way in, it's by the grace of the Lord Jesus, and there's one place that we're going into that place. By the way, for a little insight back into chapter four, chapter four, back in chapter four we read, let me read it for you again, Revelation four, three, and four, around the throne, that's the throne room chapter, around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. And when we were back there, I told you, those 24 represent the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles, all the old covenant people and all the new covenant people. Well, we're back to those 24, those 12 and those 12, they're 24, and it's, it's the old covenant people and the new covenant people in heaven, in the holy city, in the bride, in the, in the wife of the lamb, in that great place, we'll all be one. And you'll meet, over time, you'll meet Adam and Eve. At the, after the wedding yesterday, we were at a reception place, beautiful place, up in Habit of Grace, a bunch of people around the table, we're all chatting about various subjects, and it was a fun time. And somehow we got on the subject of Adam and Eve, and like when you go to heaven and you meet Adam, what do you want to ask him? What do you want to say to Adam? You want to say, dude, right? what on earth were you thinking? Right? You want to ask people in heaven. You'll get to ask Adam that. You'll get to meet Moses. You'll meet Elijah. You'll meet Deborah, the Old Testament judge. You'll meet Isaiah and Jeremiah. You'll meet Ruth the Moabitess. And you'll meet Queen Esther. Tell you saw her sight and sound, all right? And in heaven, you'll meet the woman at the well, and you'll hear her story about how she met Jesus. You'll meet the thief on the cross. Quiz, was he Old Covenant or New Covenant believer? He's just about right on the line there, isn't he? I don't know where to put that one. You meet the Apostle Paul. I was telling the people at the table yesterday, I want to meet the Apostle Paul, and here's my burning question for Paul. Did you write Hebrews? That's what I don't know. You wrote Hebrews, right? Oh, you didn't? It was you and John and Peter together? Oh, man, come on. I want to know if he wrote Hebrews. And you'll, you'll meet Peter and James, and let's go down in church history. You'll meet the great St. Augustine. You'll meet Athanasius, who stood at the Council of Nicaea in the 300s and stood for the doctrine of the Trinity. You'll meet Martin Luther, the great reformer, John Calvin, John Wesley, John Wesley's mother, Susanna. I've been to her grave in London. You get to meet all these people. In heaven, you'll eventually meet everybody who believed before Jesus came, along with everybody who believes since Jesus came. They'll all be there, one great, big, happy, eternal family of God, redeemed by the Lamb. So that's not turtles. This is big. What's heaven all about? New heavens, new earth, new universe, new you, glorified and all the old covenant people will be there, and all the new covenant people will be there, and we'll all be one in Christ. But there's more. Let's go back to that same annoying equal sign blob of verbiage that I gave you, and let's notice what's on the very end of it. It says, heaven will be largely taken up with 
a holy city, which is a new Jerusalem, which is the bride of Christ, which is the wife of the Lamb, which becomes the church, which is all the people of God. And notice the last phrase. Here's what you want to know about heaven. It will be all of those people glorified and radiant. Now notice how the text says it. It hints at it in verse 2, Revelation 21, 2. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. The holy city turns out to be you. And you're going to be all decked out on that day. You're going to look like you've never looked before. You're going to look amazing like a bride on her wedding day. But there's more. Revelation 21, 9 and 11, then came one of the seven angels and spoke to me saying, come, I'll show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, because that is the bride, the wife of the Lamb. But notice the last two phrases, having the glory of God. That's not turtles either. That's significant. Having the glory of God. That's one phrase. And notice the second phrase, trying to give you a picture of what the first one meant. It's radiance, like a most rare jewel. Let's think about the first phrase. What will this heavenly city, the people of God, be like? It's having. It's a perfect translation. Having the glory of God. Now, what do we know about the glory of God? Well, we know from Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. And you look at it there and you go, wow, what an amazing God. We know that in the Old Testament, the glory of God resided in a little cubic room in a tabernacle and then in a temple. That was the holy place. Only certain priests could go in there at certain times to do certain functions because the Shekinah glory of God was in there with the Ark of the Covenant and all. And we know that in the new covenant, the glory of God resides in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. But, I mean, really, look at us. We're a ragtag bunch. We're not too glorified yet, huh? But but in heaven, we will be having the glory of God. What will I be like in heaven? Perhaps this is the most significant answer, the most significant thing you can know about that. You will be having the glory of God of God. What about the second phrase? It's radiance like a most rare jewel. Have you seen a most rare jewel? Have you seen the Hope Diamond? I'm pretty sure I saw it at the Smithsonian many years ago. It was like this big around. Maybe that's my memory. You know, it was, it was, it was this big around and blue. And they had a bunch of other diamonds all around it. And it's in this little case with thick glass, but lights. So it's bright. And the thing is just glowing. It's just gleaming with light, bouncing off the different cut surfaces. That's a most rare jewel. For a very scaled-down version, you who are wives, have a look at your ring. See that in the lighting in here? Ooh, look at that. Uh Uh-huh. You will be like a most rare version of that. You'll be like the hope diamond. He's struggling for words. Having the glory of God, it's radiance like a most rare jewel. John says elsewhere, when we see him, we'll be like him, for we shall see him as he is. You'll be like Jesus Christ. Picturing this reminded me of a film 
a film that I love. I keep a list of films that I love. It's early in that list. It's from 1968, an epic science fiction film based on a book by Arthur Clarke. Anybody know the title? 2001 A Space Odyssey. There you go. I love that film. Spoiler alert. In that film, aliens start working with humans back when we were apes, and they're helping us evolve. And when you get way down to the end of the film, there's Dave, an astronaut, headed for Mars, and the aliens are helping him evolve. And at a certain point, he really evolves. He's like the caterpillar becomes the butterfly. And the butterfly version of Dave is like this this cosmic baby floating over the earth, and he's glowing. And every time I've seen that scene, and I just bought the book so I can finally read the book, when when I read that scene in the book, I'm going to say, Arthur Clarke, you stole that from us. The devil doesn't have any raw materials to work with. He can only take what God has created and corrupt it. I'm getting off on a different subject right now. But that's what he does with our transformation in the future. We shall be glorified. The devil says, well, let me show you a glorified. It's evolution with aliens. I'm not buying that. This is the real glorified. Like a most rare jewel. You'll be having the glory of God. So, I'm going to leave that blob of verbiage, enough of that, and go to a very simple sentence structure for the next thing we're going to learn about heaven from the truck dump of Revelation 21. Here it is. Heaven has no bad parts. Heaven has no bad parts. Like, is there a city on earth that doesn't have some bad parts? Like, don't go there. Heaven has no bad parts. Not just like a city might have bad parts. It has no parts like bad parts like life has some bad parts, right? Talking to a man between services, he told me he was just diagnosed with prostate cancer. We stood there and prayed together, laid hands on him, and we prayed. He's got cancer. That's a bad part. There are a lot of bad parts to life. But this is more important than turtles, knowing this. Heaven has no bad parts. Let's read about it, Revelation 21.4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Amen. Finally, in heaven we'll leave behind all the bad parts about being a fallen human on a fallen world. All the bad parts brought about, all the suffering brought about by our first parents when they, when they violated the one negative command in the whole world and said, no, we'll do that anyway. And they took it and ate it, and they were cursed and fallen, and the world is cursed, and now we're fallen people living on a fallen planet, and there is much badness but heaven has no bad parts. Finally, all the bad parts are gone. Never-ending joy, never-ending peace, never-ending conscious bliss. That's heaven. Certainly, this is important information about heaven. He wipes away every tear bad news for the Kleenex company. Death shall be no more. Bad news for funeral parlors, for shock trauma in the emergency room. No more pain. Bad news for Tylenol. 
Bad news for physical therapists. Bad news for emotional, psychological therapists. It's all gone and good riddance. No more pain. No more suffering. No more sorrow. No more drying the tears of sorrow out of your eyes. Surely that's significant. In fact, it goes, it's, it's so cool the way the Bible's laid out. You start off with Genesis and creation, and you end up with Revelation 21 and recreation, and there are common themes in them both. So in, in Genesis, what happens, what did God say to our first parents when they rebelled against him and violated his commandment? He said to the woman, you will experience pain. That's where pain began. He said twice, pain to the woman. He said once, pain to the man. What happened at the fall? Pain, pain, pain. Why is there pain in your life? Because we rebelled against God, violated his commandment, and God cursed the earth. He had to curse the earth. He couldn't let such a momentous fall, rebellion, sin coming into our plan. He couldn't let that happen without marking it, without putting an exclamation point to it. Well, now I'm going to curse the planet. Why did he do that? Well, he can't just let everything go on. Well, you all just ruined everything, but I'm going to pretend like nothing happened. The planet's still going to be wonderful. No, we have to mark that. The planet gets cursed. The universe gets cursed. There's pain. There's suffering. There's death. What was part of the thing to Adam? Genesis 3, because you sinned, you're, you're going to work in pain until you return to the ground from which you're, you're going to die. There's pain and there's death. What does this verse tell us? No more pain and no more death. This is when that ends. The curse is overturned. And are you with me? I'm like, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. That sounds pretty good. You're not a believer and you're wondering, well, what do I get if I become a Christian? I'm kind of looking in. I'm not sure. I'm visiting church today because I'm, I'm smart enough to realize I need to count the cost. So I'm here because I know if I become a believer, then they're going to say, now you've got to go to church. So I better check out the church thing before I sign on with Jesus. So you're checking out church. Welcome. You're smart for doing that. Here's part of what you'll get. You'll get a day when you'll be in heaven glowing like a rare jewel, and you'll have no more sorrow and no more pain, and there'll be no more death. So come to Christ, and it's free. Heaven has no bad parts. So that's important. But here's another thing that I want to mention to you about heaven. Let's go on to the next thing we're revealing from Revelation 21. Heaven is populated. This is curious the way this is put. Heaven is populated only by conquerors. Here's another important insight into heaven. Like, who will be there? And you'd think the answer would be, well, those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, those who are Christians, those who are followers of the Lamb. Ah, that is what he's saying, but he makes it more specific. He qualifies which kind of believers he's talking about. You'll see how. Not everybody who says they're a believer is going to be in heaven, only those who are conquerors. Let me show you. Revelation 21.7. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. Now again, he could have just said the ones who are believers, the ones who name the name of Christ. But there are nominal believers to whom the Lord will say at the last day, depart from me, I never knew you. You weren't the real deal. 
there are people who say they're Christians, but they're going to turn back. They're going to leave Jesus one day when the going gets tough. It's only those who conquer. Conquer what? As we'll see in a moment. Conquer the temptation to deny Christ, to turn your back on Christ, to say Christ is nobody. I'm done with religion. I'm done with Christianity. No, no, no. Those people don't wind up in this place. Only the conquerors, the one who conquers. Let me show you how we know that. The word conquer is nikao. It's a Greek word from which we get the word Nike, by the way. When you're wearing Nikes, you're wearing conquerors. It comes from Greek mythology where nikao, or Nike, was a winged goddess of victory. Guess how many times the the word nikao is used in the book of Revelation? Sixteen times, starting way back in the seven churches of Asia Minor in chapters two and three. You must conquer, you must conquer. To the ones who who conquer, I give this promise. And all through the book, conquer, 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 conquer. It's also used in 1 John, written by this John. It's used in 1 John six times. So 22 times John addresses Christians in 1 John and the book of Revelation using the word, you've got to conquer, you've got to conquer, you've got to conquer. It's roughly a synonym for another word that's used again and again in the book of Revelation and throughout the New Testament, which is you need to persevere. You need to continue. You need to remain. John uses that word a lot in John chapter 15. Abide in Christ. That's the word for continue. That's the word for remain. It's the same thing as conquering. So only certain kinds of Christians populate heaven. It's those who are the conquerors. Let me show you some of the other references where we see this in Revelation. It's in Revelation 2.7. To the one who conquers. I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Well, what were they facing? They were facing fierce persecution, and some of them were turning away. They were being told, uh, you deny Christ or you're not going to have a job and you can't feed your kids. You deny Christ or you're going to jail. You deny Christ or we're going to kill you. And they were killing people. They were killing Christians. And Jesus says to them, uh, if you conquer, I'll grant you to eat the tree of life. The tree of life is free salvation, but those who really have it conquer. Uh, Let me show you again where it comes up in the book of Revelation. Revelation 3, 5, the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name. They need to confess the name of Christ and keep conquering with it. And he says, and I will confess their name before my Father and before his angels. There are Christians who conquer, who persevere, who abide, who remain, who continue. Or in 1 John, 1 John 5, 5, we read, who is it that overcomes? That's the same verb, nikao. Who is it that conquers the world except the one that believes, the real believers, that believe that Jesus is the Son of God? So you must conquer, you must conquer, you must conquer, and you will by grace. You will because you're sealed by the Holy Spirit. You will because you're regenerated and redeemed by the grace of the Lamb. You will conquer or you don't go to heaven. That's what this says. Let me show you some things in the Bible about nominal Christians, Christians in name, but who did not conquer. The first one is in, oddly enough, the verses John 6, 6, 6. Yeah, goosebumps. John 6, 6, 6. After this, Jesus did some hard teaching, hard for people to receive. And it says, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. I'm not going with Jesus anymore. I'm done with Jesus. I was a follower yesterday. I ain't a follower today. 
Many of his disciples, many who had been following and hearing the words of life from his lips, they said, no, 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 wait a minute, you've gone too far now. That's too demanding. That's too rigorous. That's too challenging. I can't go there. I'm not a follower anymore. The author of Hebrews addresses such people again and again and again. Uh, Paul does in Hebrews. Uh, he says, Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful, so you have to be faithful. The faithful Christians conquer. Hold fast the confession. That's conquering. Or, sorry, slide man, I jumped around. Let's go to Hebrews 6.6. 6. What happens to those who don't conquer? They are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own heart. They're crucified. Christ got crucified once, then he rose, he ascended, and they said, I'm a follower of Christ. And now they've decided, I'm not following him anymore. Let's kill him again. He's back down dead. They don't conquer. They were following him for a while, but they, they turned back to their own harm, and they're holding him up to contempt. Psh, Christ, dead rabbi. I don't believe all that stuff anymore. That's not conquering. Hebrews 10, 29, comparing people who turned away from Moses and God's law to new covenant believers who turned away from Christ. And he says, how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? That's a Christian who doesn't conquer. They throw him down and trample him underfoot later in life and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was set apart to God and sanctified. It's just common blood, the blood of Christ. Nothing special about that blood. And has, and has outraged the spirit of grace. I don't believe anymore. I don't follow anymore. Let's go to Hebrews 10 a little farther. These people who need to conquer, God says of them, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And then the author comes in and says, but we, believers, we're not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and, per and preserve their souls. What's all that up to? What's it all that up to? Heaven is populated by conquerors. Conquerors are people who keep on believing, keep on following, keep on repenting. Please notice, I did not say it's populated by Christians who are sinless. There are none. It's not that you live some kind of a sinless Christian life. It's that you keep on repenting, and you keep on believing, and you keep on claiming gospel promises, and you keep on claiming the blood of Christ. And so you are a Christian who is conquering. Heaven is populated only by conquerors, and God is telling us this with the hope that you might be one of those conquerors. Let me give you two closing observations. Whew, you all like that word, closing, don't you? You're like, whew, okay, man, whew. Closing observations, here's the first one. My friend, these are the things that matter about heaven. Not every little picky question you might have at the wedding rehearsal, not the rehearsal, at the reception yesterday at our crazy table of mainly Cornerstone for folks, we got to talking about bees. How'd we even get into that? Stan and Jackie, you guys were in on that. How'd we get into that? We're talking about bees and getting stung right there. One of us did, and I won't name who, but we're sitting over on my right. And uh, all, all our bee stories, and you know, so you might want to know, well, will there be bumblebees in heaven? That doesn't matter. I don't know. If there are, they won't sting you, because there's no more pain, right? We know that. 
So there are no end to the trivial questions you could ask. These are not the trivial things. These are the big things. New heavens, new earth, new you. Righteousness dwells. Having the glory of God like radiant jewels. These are the things that matter. We are not taking prime time to say hi to mom. God's not giving us trivia. This is where he dumps the truck about heaven on us, Revelation 21. And in that truckload, there are sweet things. These are the things that matter about heaven. So if you're wondering about heaven, read the chapter. Ask those things. Look for those things. But a second thing here, by way of closing, is God is revealing all of this so you'll believe, I'll add, and persevere and go there. Why is he revealing this? So you'll say, uh, 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 I want to be there and not in that awful place. Nominal Christians will arrive at the last day and Jesus will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. Into the hell prepared for the devil and his angels. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You don't want to be one of those kinds. You want to be the persevering kind of believer. And at the last day, Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. And you're like, well, well done? talking to me? Weren't you watching? Didn't you notice? He said, I noticed. My blood covered it all. You're an overcomer. You persevered. You kept on believing. You remained. You're abiding in Christ. You kept repenting. Well done, good and faithful servant. God is revealing all of this so you'll believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved from your sins and receive the free gift of everlasting life, and then you'll persevere and you'll continue and you'll remain and you'll conquer and you'll go there. You know what God's doing in Revelation 21? This is kind of a crass way of putting it. Forgive me. I do it advisedly. But God is advertising heaven. I say that's crass because advertising doesn't always get, doesn't always represent itself well. Like it's gimme, gimme, gimme. I'm going to try and fake you out and make you buy a product you don't need. But God's advertising. He's, He's gazetting heaven. One of you this week, a couple days ago, you sent me a little text. And it said, hey, man, join us on this cruise. You had a screenshot of your ticket and what, where you're going on a cruise. It was in January of 2023, and it's from Baltimore down to the islands. And because it's that far out, I guess, it was $4.99 a ticket. He said, why don't you and Debbie join us? We'll go on this cruise together, $4.99 ticket. Debbie has wanted me to take her on a cruise forever. And I would rate, way rather go to the Himalayas and climb a mountain or something. But I got to take my girl on a cruise. And so I'm looking at the, the screenshot, and there's this cruise. Man, that looks pretty good. There's like, there's food, there's beauty, there's the ocean, there's visiting other cities. And you look at it, you say, I want to go there. That's what you're supposed to do with Revelation 21. You're supposed to look at this and say, oh, man, I want to be there. Pastor Jason gave us a great sermon a couple weeks ago in hell, and that was to say, oh, man, I don't want to be there. We're giving you heaven and hell here lately. you got to be getting it. I don't want to be there. I want to be here. God's showing it to you. So you'll say, what an amazing, stupendous place. I want to spend my eternity there and not in hell. So I'm repenting and believing, and I'm going to keep on repenting and believing, and I want to wind up in heaven. Well done. Good and faithful servant. So Lord willing, more about hell next week. I'm heaven, I'm sorry, heaven next week. 
You don't need to hear more about hell. And then uh, probably the week after that, I'm going to try and wrap up Revelation 21. We'll see. Or 22. But let's pray. I want you to pray with me. Some of you are not in Christ. I especially want you to pray with me right now, please. And maybe this is working in your heart and the Spirit of God is tugging on your soul. And you want to say with me, Father in heaven, I need Jesus Christ. And right now I'm turning. I'm turning from my way to your way, Heavenly Father. And I'm pleading with you that you'd have mercy on me and be gracious to me. And by the blood of Christ, would you forgive me of all my sins and give me this incredible free gift of everlasting life in this new universe, a new earth, and a new me, all glorified. So, Father, right now I'm believing. Now I want to pause in my prayer and just talk to you for a second. Look, if if that's you, we want to help you. There's a card in the chair in front of you if you're in the room. There's a digital card under the video in the description if you're with us online. We want to help you. Reach out to us. Give us the opportunity to help you to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. If you're a believer, we want to help you grow. Reach out to us as well. Now back to praying. So Father, as we come to the table of communion, help us to feast our souls on the Lamb of God, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.